When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're ready to go, Commander. We have three hours left to retrieve the seed sample and create an antidote for the Keeley. Let's show them who we are. <laughs> you might want to hold on to something. Black alert. So back in the 80s, there was a song, The Future's So Bright, I've Got to Wear Shades. But this time, <laughs> The Future's So Bright, I've Got to Wear Glasses, because it makes me look smarter. <laughs> More intelligent, I guess. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson with the wonderful, futuristic Dan Gunther. Dan, how is it in the future? Not bad. I'm not wearing glasses, but uh, yeah, the future is pretty cool. It's funny you say the future because to anyone listening to this, we're actually in the past. And uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen in the next two days before this episode comes out. I'm trying to think what timeline we're in right now. You and me. Like, what timeline? Is is our timeline called prime timeline or is it a different timeline? I mean, okay, so this is... It's funny you bring this up because that was one of the things that bumped me out of an episode last season where Giorgio says my my prime timeline counterpart or something like that and i'm like wouldn't she think her timeline is prime like but anyway like she's from the mirror universe but wouldn't that be the prime universe from her perspective like why would she call our universe the prime universe i didn't even pick up on that it went right by me Mm -hmm. that wait who was she talking to when she said that do you remember oh i think she might have been talking to dr burnham i think it might have been when they had her captured as the Red Angel in that episode, uh, Michael Burnham's mother. Because maybe Georgia said that because she knows that's how they think of their time. They call their timeline Prime, so she's just relaying that. Like, she wouldn't call it Prime, but they call it Prime, so she's calling it Prime to them. Right. That's what I assumed, too, but it just it just came out of her mouth so easily, like, that's how she thinks of it, too. But I, I, I probably read way too much into it, but that just always, I was like, huh. Why, why did she think that? Uh, oh, well. <laughs> but that's an interesting point. We're getting off subject, but this is related to discovery. And that's what this episode is about of Positively Trek is to review the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's episode five of season three and it's Die Trying. But before we get to that, I want us to stay on this just a little longer what we're talking about, because to your point, 
every timeline would think of themselves as the prime timeline. So it's just kind of an odd thing that somebody would refer to their timeline as this is called the prime timeline. You would just think they would call it our timeline. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. Hmm. So I guess from our perspective, we're living in our prime timeline. True. I don't know if I'd call like the events of the last year prime (laughs) necessarily, (laughs) but that's a whole separate discussion, I guess. (laughs) I think we call our timeline strange. Yeah. Strange timeline. Yeah. But just imagine, Dan, everything that took place in the past few years that you're talking about in another timeline, those things didn't happen. Oh, I, I... I want to be there. I want to be in that timeline so badly. And there's another timeline where you and I have a podcast called Negatively Trek. Ooh, and we just all we just dunk on Star Trek all the time. Just how all the awful time. it is. And, and our listenership is huge. <laughs> <laughs> so everything's opposite. That's crazy. <laughs> we have good listenership. It just annoys me that the negative people on YouTube get a lot of views that's all that's why i'm mentioning that i think uh we can we can afford to have a lot of feelings about the people on youtube but jealousy of them is very unproductive (laughs) yes and i will say tune into our next episode episode 61 because there's something we're going to say in there that we're going to cover that's going to put shame on those youtube people that are negative Ooh, that's my tease I, i don't even know what this is i'm so fascinated Okay. Yes, it's not that big, but it is, it's enough. It's enough to just prove that they're wrong. Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about die trying. So, okay, this episode, I just want to ask Dan, what were your initial takeaway thoughts when you left this episode? What was, it's like the first thing that comes to your mind about this episode. By the way, spoilers, everyone, we're going in. I would say the surprise at some of the things that happened and, and some of the turns that the episode took that I wasn't expecting. There, there's some character choices and, and some things done by various characters and decisions made by the writers that, yeah, I honestly didn't see coming. And, and talking to other people who've watched it. A few people have said like, oh, I totally saw all of that coming. And I, I totally like Nan's decision. Yeah, I, I, I assumed that as soon as, you know, this happened. And I was like, I did not see that coming at all. No, I didn't either. Okay, well, we'll get into that. So let's talk about the 32nd century Federation that we did get to see. Because the USS Discovery arrives at Federation and Starfleet headquarters, which is hidden behind a distorted star field, which... Before they go through that star field, I'm thinking, okay, what's it going to look like on the other side? And I have to tell you, my vision was Yorktown Station Mm. from Star Trek Beyond. I thought something like that. So you were thinking like an installation, like an actual big space station kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there was a space station, but it was fairly small. Like it was just a little kind of central hub. Yeah, that kind of surprised me. I expected something bigger than Mm -hmm. that. Because it is the headquarters of the Federation and Starfleet. This is it, you know? And I just, but considering what they've been through, the resources aren't there. Yeah. You know, like they used to have. But it makes me wonder where is Yorktown base? You know, yeah. how is it faring if it's in this prime timeline? Not. <laughs> yeah, I was picturing something like akin to Earth Space Dock or something big like that as well. Maybe not Yorktown Station level, but still big space station. But, you know, we're, we're thinking we're, we're thinking so 23rd and 24th century. <laughs> they do things differently yeah. in the 32nd. 
Well, we're also thinking of a Starfleet Federation that's on the rise and growing. Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite. It's declining. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. really been hit hard. So my impression of this Federation future and Starfleet future, uh, uh, let me just say, put it this way. I'm watching it for the second time, but first time for my wife. As we're watching it together, she's like, oh my gosh, something bad is going to happen. And they're all going to be jerks and the Federation is evil or something like that. And it wasn't that quite, but they also didn't have open arms and were overly friendly. It's not as if the new, the future Federation is like, we're so glad you made it back. We've been wondering what happened to you guys. You're alive. Oh, and hugs and kisses, Mm -hmm. you know, but how did you feel about the approach that uh, the warm reception that the discovery crew received i thought it totally made sense like we of course have been following the discovery and their exploits and we know them and stuff but yeah i mean this thousand year old starship rolls up and and like yeah i'd be really wary as well especially when all of my uh historical documents say you know the ship was destroyed lost with all hands in this year and there's no mention of anything like a spore drive or anything like that this is you know this could all just be a fabrication this is a federation that's, you know, been brought to its knees and they would be understandably wary. Like how many times has the federation been infiltrated by invaders or parasites or who knows what, right? Like they they have no reason to dis- to trust discovery right away. Yeah, at first when we are introduced to uh the commander in chief Admiral Charles Vance and his security officer, chief of security Lieutenant Willa I was just, they, they just seemed very cold and distant and, you know, he's very direct, but I have to say the, I've watched this episode three times now and I'm loving him more each episode mm-hmm. because I, again, I'm thinking like, you know, oh, the Federation's probably going to be happy to see the Discovery crew. But to your point, we have to think what they've been through and what they're currently going through. And they've been through wars and the temporal accords are in place, you know, that whole thing. And they don't trust people who are traveling through time, which is a crime. So you have to be kind of weary as to, you know, is this crew really who they are or what's what are they really doing here? So he has to put up his guard because he has to protect what is left, which is little of the Federation and Starfleet. They only have 38 member worlds left. And at one point he said there was a max of 350. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be careful. So I don't blame his position in this. Yeah, absolutely. I, you see it in in on the macro level and the micro level as well. Like I really, on the rewatch, really paid attention to his interaction with Adira and the fact that he was very good friends, it seems, with Admiral Senna Tal. And he, he kind of brushes her off. He says, Admiral Tal and I were familiar. We're not go go get checked out by medical and i I feel like he's very much doing what he can to protect himself i think he wants nothing more than to embrace these people and say oh yes i would love to rebuild the federation oh my god the federation ideals we need to do this this and this but he he's like he has to weigh that against the needs of the federation and and what's going on right now like he says triage later on that, you know, he can't let his personal feelings come into it. He needs to be the standoffish, aloof, strong leader of the Federation that they need right now. And and I, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I see a lot of that play across his face. I think he wants to be more warm and open and accepting, but he just can't afford to. 
I, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think he has that position as being commander in chief to protect everyone. And, you know, there's a certain way that you act. You aren't all warm and fuzzy, especially with people who are strangers that you're suspicious that could be an issue. You have to check them out. I mean, this is like a military type operation. You're just not going to walk up to Saru, shake his hand, give him a hug and say, welcome back. Uh, where do you want to go to next? We'll send you on a mission. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and then he wants to, you know, of course, interview the crew members and, and submit them to almost like an interrogation, which those are kind of fun to watch, too. Yeah. With Stamets and Nan and Reno. <laughs> yeah, there are some fun moments. It, it was raining Starfleet officers is one of my favorite lines now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until he's in there, too, and all that. But those were good, too. So, yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, it sucks because... I don't want him to separate the crew. He wants to disperse the crew into different places and stuff because, well, yeah, you can't trust them. But Burnham's there saying, you know, hey, rely on us. You know, we know how to operate the spore drive. You don't. We have this information from the sphere data and you need to know how to manage it. You can't just disperse us and take over. You know, you need to trust us and listen to us. And the way he's acting is basically trust is earned. You know, I I have to find out really who you are before I can really start trusting you. Yeah. And I think it's played brilliantly that this this role. And like I said, I I really I totally understand where Starfleet's coming from here. Also, Oded Fair as Admiral Vance. He's incredible. I love the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. (laughs) <laughs> or at least the first yep. the first two. I don't think I watched beyond that. But uh, he's so good in that role. And it was so great to see him in Star Trek. And uh, yeah, I was I was kind of I was kind of geeking out over seeing him in Star Trek. Yeah, I was too. I thought and I thought he was brilliant. And then I was also like noticing the uniforms, which we saw in you know previews before this. But you know, I like the look of the uniforms. They're they look like Starfleet Federation type apparel. So I don't have a lot to comment on on uniforms, but I did like the look of the uniform he was wearing. Not so much Lieutenant Willis. I mean, it's kind of basic and plain to me, but I do like his Admiral uniform. Yeah, I feel like overall they're kind of going for a more simplified look to kind of reflect what's going on in the Federation. Like they're not they're not putting a ton of work into costume design. And and that's not. I, I don't mean as a show, Star Trek Discovery. I mean, as a federation. It's like kind of yeah. representative of where they're putting the resources. They don't have like the officer in charge of this year's uniform rollout. You know, they're 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 just not paying that guy very much. He's <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> yeah, I will go with this. It's fine. <laughs> well, it makes sense in a stylistic way to portray them in more colors that are gray and dark and such because that's where the mood is of the Federation and Starfleet. It would be really odd if he walked out in a gold tunic, Willa's in a red, and you get, see all the bright colors. I mean, the station is white and it's bright, mm-hmm. but uh, it really would have been weird because of the mood of the Starfleet and Federation at this point have bright colors. It kind of would contradict itself, I think, because mm-hmm. to me, it's aspirational to have bright colors. And they're not at that place. Yeah, they're in triage. They're not putting resources into bright, happy things. (laughs) (laughs) Saru finds out 
that his people are part of the Federation or at least joined the Federation. I like that scene too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They say that Kaminar is part of the Federation. I do wonder if like the Ba'ul, are there Ba'ul Starfleet officers? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's a scary thought. And I mean, you know, I have my theory on the Ba'ul that they don't actually look like that oil slick type thing that that was just, you know, to appear frightening. But if they actually do look like that, how, how do they wear a Starfleet uniform? Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I'd I'd be curious to see like just like a Ba'ul Starfleet officer walk by. Wearing gray, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> okay. So I've been saving this one. The ships. Yes. The ships, the ships, the ships. Indeed. Voyager is there with the J. And I love that. And you know, I'm sorry, I had to explain it to my wife. I was like, see the J? And she goes, and the J means what? And I'm like, you know, the Enterprise A, B, C, D, E, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love how Tilly's like, what's that, like 10 generations of Voyagers? And then who was it? It was... um, Awoshikan. Yeah, she mentions... No, it's 11. Yeah. Because you always have to count the original before you count the A. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I did like that. I thought that was a really neat little homage. The one thing that bugs me about this stuff, I love Easter eggs. I love tributes and that sort of thing. The fact that, you know, the Discovery View screen focuses on it and we get OO's line like, oh, imagine what the stories were there. We'd love to hear those. It's a little bit like, okay, now you're just focusing on it a little too much. That's my only very small complaint. It's it's a minor complaint, but it's it's like in, uh, I, I love how they do Easter eggs in Rogue One, for example, except at the very beginning, there's like the, the close in zoom in shot on the blue milk. And I'm like, okay. Yep. You know, this this was the close-in zoom-in shot of the blue milk. I'm like... That's a good point. I thought it was cool when it was drifting past the window. And so all the Star Trek fans are like, ooh, that's cool. But then, you know, focusing on it too much was, was just a little bit of an eh to me. But that's okay. Now, I'm with you on that. Especially when you see it full screen on their view screen. And it looks like they're heading right into, like, <laughs> crashing into the ship because they're, like, so on that registry number. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like, you know, we see it out the window and it's like, oh, hey, Star Trek fans, look at this. This is cool. And then we go to the bridge and it's like, did you see? Did you see? Don't miss this. This is really cool. Check this out. Look at this. Look really closely. Ooh, look what we did. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if you're traveling 900 some years into the future, you'd probably be like that. Yeah. Right? Oh, I for mean, sure. Seeing like our future. I mean, just imagine, Dan, going to your hometown 900 some years from now, you'd probably be going, oh my gosh, look at this. And look, they changed that. And look at that building. And yeah, know. it's just like, to me, the name Voyager doesn't really mean anything to them. It means a lot to us, but it wouldn't That's mean true. anything to them. I'm actually much preferred Awoshikun when she says, is that a new constitution? Like, because the Constitution and the Constitution class ships were such a big thing where they came from. I'm like, yeah, they'd be excited about that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, my other thought was the time that they left, which is in the 2250s, that means that they had seen a ship with a registry with a letter after it before the Enterprise A. Because how would they know what the J means in the registry number? To your point, they haven't seen Voyager before. They haven't seen that registry number. And they wouldn't have seen a registry number with a dash letter after it. And how would they know to assume that means, oh, well, there's the sequence of ships that use the same registry number, but just add a letter to the end unless they've seen that before. 
and we hadn't seen it yet on the A of Discover of Enter- Enterprise. Yeah, it could be that there was another ship that had letters after the registry. It could also be just like kind of a logical extrapolation. Like Starfleet registry numbers are numbers, and if there's a letter after it, that means oh, there's successive generations of it. They they kept that number. Unless there was an NX dash O one dash A. NXO-01-B. <laughs> <laughs> See, that brings in a whole continuity error, though, too, because there was an NX-01-A in Voyager, and that was the fake ship, the Dauntless. So, you know. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving that. Dang. I didn't even think about that. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, so there's another ship, which I didn't notice until I went online, the USS Nog. Yeah. Which sounds like an odd name for a starship to me because it's so short of a name. But the USS Nog, which makes sense because he was the first Ferengi in the Federation or in Starfleet, I should say. Absolutely. And I've got to assume he went on to some pretty great exploits as as a Starfleet officer. You know, I, I like to imagine Captain Nog has some like firsts under his belt that, you know, the first captain to whatever, right? Like explore this many worlds or first contact with the species or whatever. So yeah, a great, wonderful tribute, of course, with the, the fairly recent passing of Aaron Eisenberg. I did have this spoiled for me before I watched it. So I was keeping an eye out for it and, and did see it thought that was amazing. When I first saw it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of neat. That's cool. And then I watched it a second time with my wife, Nikki, and I don't know what it was. It's like, it's like the shared experience of the both of us. And like, you know, we we've both met Aaron Eisenberg in, in Vegas and stuff. And it came on the screen. I paused and pointed it out and she got a little misty eyed. And then I did too. And I was like, in that moment, just remembering Aaron Eisenberg and his contributions as Nog. And I was like, what an amazing tribute. That's so beautiful. And the fact that behind the scenes, according to some people, I haven't independently confirmed this, but apparently it's an Eisenberg class starship. Oh. Which is really cool. Like, that is amazing. No, that's pretty cool. And yeah, Aaron would be like thrilled to see that a ship was named after Nog, mm-hmm. for sure. And I, I love the fact, too, because of, of it being named Nog. Because so many starships are named after Earth-bound names and places and people and stuff. And I like to see more of diversity in names on starships. So Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this makes me just that much more hopeful that we might see a Ferengi at some point. Just, I, I don't know. It's it's a long way to go from there to here, but I'm like... Maybe, you know, they've they've got a ship named after Ferengi. Maybe we'll see a Ferengi sometime in this future timeline. That would be really cool. Oh, and see, now I wish that Admiral Vance was a Ferengi. <laughs> are, are the, is Ferenginar part of the Federation now? How cool right. would that be? Right. Wouldn't that be cool? See, that's <laughs> the kind of thing that would have been really cool to see. Or just see like a Ferengi walking by and go, oh, it looks like the Ferengi are part of the Federation. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we have more episodes, so maybe we'll see something like that soon. But I do know that holograms are still around, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, during this interrogation of the different crew members, they're being interviewed. Uh, Giorgio is being interviewed by holograms. And they recognize that she is Terran, that she is from the Mirror Universe. The whole blinking thing was kind of funny to me. I was like, what are they doing? Why do they have her blinking? <laughs> like At first, I'm like, this is really strange. 
But then it was like a way to, I, I remember how she described it, but it was a way to just kind of throw off the holograms that they disappear. You're going to explain that better than I did. I don't think I am because I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, she, she gives the explanation that it, you know, messes up their neural matrix or something. I, I can't even remember what she yeah. said, but it didn't make any sense to me. This, this is technology that's a thousand years advanced from where they're from, regardless of which universe. And I'm like, how would she, how would she know to do this? Like, I, you know, they haven't been in the future that long. I don't know where she got this information or, or how she knows to do this, but for a scene that I loved so much based on her interaction with Kovic, I I didn't like this beginning part. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. I would say that I agree with you there. I just like to assume <laughs> that maybe she figured out that he's using old hologram technology and she could tell not anything more advanced. I, From 900 I, years I ago? Know. Yeah, she does say upgrade your tech or something, but like, really? Yeah. From a thousand years ago. Really? Well, you know, at the same time, maybe they had to go back on older technology because they're not in a good place. You know, I maybe, don't know. but I mean, the burn only happened 120 years ago. And that wouldn't affect hologram technology. So I, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that is how they would explain it, but it still seems like a stretch to me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, and they also call out, oh, David Cronenberg is in this episode. Yes. Very, very Wearing cool. glasses. <laughs> and of course she calls out, why are you wearing glasses? And he says, well, because it makes him look, you know, smart or intelligent or whatever. So, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I'm not that familiar with this guy, the actor, but I do know that he's a director. He's directed mainly horror movies, some sci-fi stuff. Uh, he's based in Canada. I've heard somewhere I guess near Toronto, so it was easy for him to come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's mainly a, a body horror, known for body horror type stuff, like that kind of thing, and and uh, definitely a famous director. Really cool to see him in Star Trek. I did love. I saw that Michelle Yeoh had tweeted out or or on Facebook posted about working with him and how thrilled she was and kind of freaked out to work with him and because he's such a, a luminary. I thought that was really nice and, and really sweet. I think I would be freaked out doing a scene with him. He just <laughs> he, the fact that he does horror movies just seems right because he seems kind of freaky himself in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's very cool. I, I I do love his portrayal of this character Kovic as well. He's very yes. like just unflappable and standing toe to toe with Giorgio and making her uncomfortable. Like that's amazing. <laughs> like who does that? Yeah. <laughs> now the name Kovic, where did you pick that up? Cause I didn't pick it up in the episode. Uh, he's credited as, as Kovic in the closing credits, David Cronenberg okay. as Kovic. I did see some people online uh, joking. Like, is he Kovic 19? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even look at the credits. I just noticed that they never said his name in the show, so I figured he was nameless at that point. So, but maybe he'll get a starship named after him too. <laughs> but yeah, then we get some information also. Uh, but well, first of all, I did like the interaction between the two, 
and how, you know, he says he can learn more from her, from her just asking him questions, because if he asks her questions, she's just going to lie and make things up. And she's like, touche. It got to a point where I started to think maybe he is originally from the Mirror Universe, but we find out more about the Mirror Universe and the fact that there hasn't been a crossover in over 500 years. Yeah, that was interesting. The fact that the, the Terran Empire fell as well, which we learned in Deep Space Nine, of course, but how much it unsettles Giorgio, I thought that was really interesting as well. And that, like, Giorgio realizing that uh, the Empire kind of fell to crap basically after she left, you know, not necessarily because she left, but I wonder if that's what's that's going through her mind right now as well. Well, and he's also saying how fascinated he's been of the Terran Empire and the Mirror Universe since he was a kid. But there's something in there that, you know, we were just talking about holograms and that technology not being updated now I'm starting to question, maybe he's a hologram, but he's more of that modern high-tech hologram, and he was just playing these lesser ones just to see how she would respond, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe he's not real. Yeah, I, I did love when, you know, the holograms are turning, please make her stop, and he's like, mm. <laughs> like he's, he's he wants to see what happens. He's like, this yeah. is this is interesting. What's going to happen here? Like, there's just so many questions around this guy. I also wonder if he's just really, really old. Like, you know, yeah. is maybe he an Elorian or something like that? He's really, really old and has been around for some of these crossovers uh, or an something. Elorian from the Mirror Universe. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, yeah. Now I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're building it up too much that it might not be much of anything. Yeah, he's just we'll some be guy. Disappointed. <laughs> he's, he's just a dude. He's just an analyst for Section Thirty One. He's not even like in charge of anything. He's just a researcher. I did wonder if he was Section Thirty One. That was yeah. my initial thought. Was like, oh, Georgiou. Okay, she, you know, she was part of Section Thirty One. Let's get the Section Thirty One guy to talk to her. Maybe they're in the new Section Thirty One series together. That would be. So cool. I did not think of that. (laughs) Again, it probably won't happen. We'll be disappointed. We shouldn't speculate on things. (laughs) But speculating on this, what about... Well, wait, before I go to that, I'm going to back up for a minute about him being from the Mirror Universe. The other reason I thought possibly, and I don't think he's from the Mirror Universe, but I think there might be a chance that there's some connection there. The whole thing with the glasses. Now, I know the... The man himself, the actor, does wear glasses. But then, remember, in the Mirror Universe, when they come into the Prime Universe, they have problems with eyesight, with bright light. And I wonder if that's why he was really wearing the glasses, but he wasn't going to reveal that to her. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. He does take them off for a long period, but it's an interesting thought. You know, something something to do with eyes. And we, of course, know that connection with the Mirror Universe. That's a, that's a good thought. But then why, and here's the speculation part, why... Is Giorgio in the corridor of the discovery, and she's just like in this trance. Like she is just like zoned out, and Burnham walks up to her, and this is towards the end of the episode, and she's trying to talk to Giorgio, and she's just like not there. She's just off. She's just staring into space, basically. And then all of a sudden, Burnham's like, Is there anything wrong? And all of a sudden, she, Giorgio just snaps out of it and turns to her and goes, Why would you ask me a question like that? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Do you think she was just in deep thought or? Has something really bad been revealed to her and it's just ripping her apart? I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it's something deeper than just she was just in deep thought or disturbed about something. Like there's something else there. Like she was completely unresponsive. Yeah, I'm very curious to see where that goes. Or maybe she's thinking about Linus. That could be. (laughs) My uh, Nikki made the joke actually when... uh, 
when David Cronenberg's character says, there's someone on Discovery that you really care about. And she went, oh, Linus. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I didn't even think of that when he said that line. I love it. Because <laughs> maybe that is true. <laughs> so, okay, well, we got this mission that Discovery is going to go on. And Saru and Burnham are like, well, there was a ship that was a seed vault ship back in their day that if it's still around, the USS Tikoff, can they go do it on their own mission? And of course, the Admiral's like, I'm not sending you off. You're still under investigation. And Saru's like, I'll stay behind. Let Burnham take the ship. Vance agrees. Okay, fine. You stay here, Saru. I'm going to put Willa on the ship and some of her security people on with Discovery and you guys can go to the ship and find the plant to make an antidote. So here's my thought. I kind of like this idea. I love the idea of this seed vault ship. For the most part, I buy it, but there's a part of me that was just like, really? This seed vault ship is around for a thousand years? <laughs> it's still there? But it makes sense because if you're growing these seeds and, and storing them, I guess you would have still have it. I, I mean, I assumed it wasn't the, the same ship. I thought it was just they decommissioned older ships and, and replaced it and transferred everything. Like, yeah, I, 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 at no point did I think it was the same ship. Yeah, I wondered that too because I thought, I don't think it's the same ship, but, but I wasn't sure if it was or wasn't. I guess because the ship doesn't have warp nacelles and stuff, and I assumed it was a more modern ship. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, they take the Discovery and they do the spore drive, which I think is funny. They're like, hold on to something to Willa, and she's like, whatever. And then when they do use the spore drive and go to black alert, you see her like, whew. Like, <laughs> that took me by surprise. <laughs> and I love seeing Burnham in her command. Yeah. Calling the black alert. She was really good. And, and I don't think we've seen Burnham in command. It, she was in command of the bridge briefly of the Shenzhou in the first episode. But like we don't see her issuing commands and getting reports and all that kind of stuff. I really liked her in this situation. I think she stepped into, the, into that role really beautifully. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a captaincy in her future. I totally see what Prime Giorgio saw in her way back when. Absolutely, yeah. So, Dan, what did you think of the concept of this mission? I thought it was interesting. I, I liked the idea of the seed vault ship. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's weird that maybe they wouldn't have genetic records in the computer of some of these plants, maybe. But, you know, OK, I'll go, I'll go along with it for this. They need the actual seed. Sure. The fact that various groups are responsible for custody of the ship over long periods of time I thought was kind of cool and the fact that it's yeah. Barzans this time around yes. giving the connection to non of course was very very cool yeah I agree I like the idea that there's different people from different species and planets watching over this ship over time and yeah the Barzan and I mean non has been away from her people since she joined Starfleet and so this is a great opportunity for her to bond and reunite with her own people so as they get to the ship it's also in her atmosphere, so she doesn't have to use her breathing apparatus, which was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That was a neat little reversal that like everyone else had to have little breathing apparatuses, and she's like, ooh, and I get to lose mine. <laughs> yeah, which was weird because at first, Colbert and Burnham have like these holographic like helmets that go away, but I'm assuming they're still using some kind of apparatus to breathe. Yeah, that was the apparatus around their neck that kept like spurting air up into their face. That's what that was. Yeah, the little steam. I saw the little 
mist coming out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We come to find out as they're exploring the ship and, and Burnham goes into the seed vault that his family had passed away and only the husband is still alive, Dr. Addis. Mm-hmm. Well, they think he's still alive. And we do see a hologram image when Nan is reviewing the logs. And then they come to determine that his family was dying because the ship that they were on got infected by this radioactive proton storm and that there's this bright light that affected his family, but he was then in the process of beaming into the seed vault, which protected him, but then also has him phasing in and out. I'm fast forwarding right now because I really want to focus on Nan. She decides that she's going to stay behind because once they decide that they can treat Dr. Addis, he doesn't want to be treated. He doesn't want to leave his family and go to the discovery. He's not going to leave his family behind. But if he dies, there's no one there to oversee the seed vault ship anymore. And Nan decides to stay. Mm-hmm. She leaves Discovery and she's going to stay and complete the mission that his family started. So I was surprised by this. Yeah, me too. I I didn't see this coming. Other people I've talked to said they did see it coming. Nikki, for example, said, oh, I, I knew Nan was going to stay as soon as, you know, we saw that it was Barzan's and the way she was looking at, at the hologram and stuff. And we had that previously on Discovery, why she stayed on Discovery kind of thing. This is just something the character does. And like in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can totally see that. But yeah, like you, I did not see it coming at all. thought it was an interesting choice given especially that uh, Rachel Antrill is now a main primary cast member. She's in the opening credits of the show. I, I guess, like, is she off the show now? Or are we going to see her again somehow? Or I, I don't know. I really don't know what the end game for her is here or, you know, if she's just like on this ship now and, and we likely won't see much of her anymore. Well, Burnham makes the point that they can't just let Dr. Addis die because this ship is the future of the Federation. These plants, these seeds are the future of the Federation. Well, there may be a reason that discovery has to return mm-hmm. to the ship. It's true. So absolutely. we may see her again. So, yeah, I mean, she's not, necessarily gone gone so we could definitely see her again and she may have the opportunity to go to her home world and see her people that she hasn't seen in such a long time Mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see but i i will say that when i was watching this episode and we're seeing a lot of non i was like i really like this character i'm glad they're really utilizing her i hope we get to see more of her in future (laughs) episodes and then this happened i was like oh okay we'll forget that (laughs) yeah it's one of those things where i'm still in the mindset of older star trek where you know the characters barring you know, a couple really big instances generally stick around and aren't, you know, killed or transferred or whatever, and they don't leave. And this is just kind of a reminder. Oh yeah. Discovery is different. Discovery does things differently. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, then they are able to get the plant seeds, which they can use to help the Killy and keep them alive and well. But again, while they were on the seed vault ship, Watching the hologram of the Barzan family, the mother was humming a lullaby, like this little melody. And it was the same melody that we heard Adira playing on the cello in the previous episode. And this really caught Burnham's attention, because why would it be the same song? Why the same melody? So she starts inquiring about that, and she asks Willa about it, and Willa tells her later in the episode that she's asked a few people, and half the people she knows have heard some version of that melody, that song before, including herself. So I just find this whole thing a little odd. It's one of those things when you watch an episode and you go, I don't know how I think about this, because I'm thinking, well, 
this is the Federation, and these member worlds would know of similar songs, so I'm not sure why it really piques her interest as much as it does. They're Cylons. (laughs) (laughs) That was my initial thought, unfortunately. was like in Battlestar Galactica where they're all hearing all along the watchtower. And I'm like, yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know where this is headed. I think it's an interesting mystery. And it, it's the fact that they're so exact and spread over so many light years and there's no way, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting mystery they're setting up. I have no speculation or idea what the heck they could where they could be going with this, though. Yeah, because Tall knows the song, I'm assuming. Or maybe it's even from another past host. Or, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I said know. it was a lullaby that Senna Tall heard as a kid or something. Okay, so Senna Tall heard the... But again, to me, it's like it's the Federation. It's mm-hmm. like I can see songs being spread throughout the Federation. I wouldn't think it would be... All, even if they're light years apart, it wouldn't th- seem that odd to me. I mean, it would be odd if I were in Burnham's place, I think, oh, yeah, it would be odd that, you know, Adira was just playing that song. But, you know, it's it's a song that apparently people know of because Willis says she's heard that song before. Why can't it just be a popular lullaby that's known through the Federation? Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming in their research, they found like it's all different sources and it just happens to be the same. So, I mean, obviously they're setting it up to have some sort of big significance. So, right. you know, I, I think it's going to be significant somehow. I don't think it's just going to be like, oh, this band had a popular song 400 years ago and it influenced all this stuff. I think it's going to be more than that. No. Yeah, I agree. I'm just, I, I just don't know why it perks her interest as much as it does. I would think she would just play it off as like, huh, that's interesting. It's the same lullaby I heard. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But this is Burnham. She's smarter than me. She probably (laughs) knows that there's some kind of thing going on there, some kind of connection. Yeah. The fact that it's in such rapid succession, like she heard that, you know, and and there's something going on with Adira. So like, you know, the fact that she's seeing Grey and that's what he's having her play, you know, maybe there's something influencing that somehow. We still yeah. don't know what that's about. So, you know, I, I feel like Burnham's hearing it in different places at the same time is the thing. Like if it was like a couple of years apart, she probably wouldn't really notice. But like, oh, I heard that yesterday in Adira's quarters and now I'm hearing it today on this ship. Like, what's the significance of that? Yeah, because she may be wondering, why is Adira playing this? Mm-hmm. What is it that like that's just an odd choice or something? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. I'm sure it will all play out. So I'm just curious, Dan, what are your final thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought like from the tributes at the beginning, that was really nice through, you know, seeing the Federation, seeing what it's like now, the ships and and the the joy of the Discovery crew coming home juxtaposed with the fear of them getting split apart. Like it's a really interesting episode that has some ups and downs. I love the idea of Burnham and Saru and the Discovery crew having to prove that they're still worthy, not just the ship, but this particular crew as well. I think that's a really fascinating aspect to play up. So yeah, I I really appreciated this. It's kind of about the homecoming to the Federation that I expected, and it maybe even went a little better than I expected it would. I thought maybe they'd have a harder time 
getting back with the Federation and that sort of thing. And, you know, maybe we'll still see some growing pains over coming episodes, but yeah, I thought this was an excellent, excellent episode. I'm seeing a lot of people calling it very Star Trekky, which is a descriptor I've used to talk about a lot of, like almost all of the episodes this season so far. And it feels like, yeah, the Discovery writers are really embracing fully the whole Star Trek mythos and, and that sort of thing. So really, really enjoying this. I would have to give it... Uh, I would say one tour of duty aboard the USS Nog. <laughs> Yay, Nog. Exactly. You know, I, this is the episode that I watched where I thought, I like that they put this into the future because, you know, the Discovery writers and the actors have said, oh, you know, taking the show to the future gives us some freedom away from canon where we were feeling locked down with canon. And I was just like, okay, that's, I don't like that statement because it just sounds like you can't be creative when you're working within a certain amount of canon in the time period that the show originally started in. But now I can see from this episode, it's like, well, this gives them the freedom to create a universe. So it's not so much about, oh, we have to avoid certain things. It's we can play with the whole universe. We can open it up to something different and something new. So they can do something new with the Federation. They can do something new with Starfleet. They can do everything that's new, still working within canon. So I really enjoyed this episode, the whole homecoming, like you mentioned. I love seeing the crew running down the corridor to look out the windows at the ships and everything and just take it all in and and make comments of what they're seeing. I did like Admiral Vance a lot. I didn't care for him that much the first time. It's not that I didn't like him, but he just was a little too cold. But then as I watched it again, I'm like, no, he's what he needs to be. He's doing the exact thing he needs to do. His approach is 100% correct. And I'm really hoping to see more of this character. And I love the Giorgio scenes, the interrogation scenes with the crew. There's so much going on. And yeah, Star Trek in the sense that we have science. We're talking about the, the seed vault. And I never thought about a ship that's all just a bunch of seeds and plants before in the Federation Starfleet. So, yeah, I would give this, you know, four out of five seeds that will help cure Killy. Yeah, so tune into our next episode. Uh, we're just going to talk general Star Trek news and things. And uh, Dan, where can people find you online? Well, as usual, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I've made a crazy effort in the last week or so to get caught up because election week, I really didn't do the videos that I was supposed to do. So I'm kind of caught up back up now so uh check out that channel and of course you can find the show on twitter at positively trek and on facebook just search positively trek and join our facebook discussion group yeah join because there's some good discussions there everybody's really cool and positive that's a good thing and you can find me on twitter where twitter's not always so positive but you can find me there at (laughs) admiral underscore rex And you can find me occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time and continue to stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.